It's Friday morning. You guys have had little sleep and a lot of activity, so stand on up. Stretch all the way up. Touch the stars. Put your arms out sideways and tap your neighbor. And sit down. Are you awake yet? You're not awake yet? Okay. Would it make you feel better if I said I'm not awake yet either? I learned a... <laughs> Who said you're the speaker? <laughs> I learned a long time ago how to do a lot of things while I'm sleeping. Um, I actually learned in college, I worked in the kitchen, and I had to be to the kitchen at 5.30 in the morning to get the ovens on, to get all the food ready for all the college students to come through the line. And so I learned how to do a lot of things in my sleep. I learned how to turn an oven on. I learned how to cook breakfast. I learned how to actually greet people as they came through the line. Breakfast would be done, and I'm like, did we start yet? Like, I seriously don't remember half of the time serving breakfast to 180 people. Because I was physically there. I learned how to be alert, but I was still sleeping. And I think that's how we are spiritually too. We know how to put on a good face. We know how to say, I'm here, but inside we are sleeping or inside we are in a different county. Uh, it's like the picture of the little girl who's just like, you told me that I had to sit down, but on the inside, I'm standing up. You know, it, it, it's, it's that rebellious aspect to it. But we're glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 9 today. We're going to be going through a passage of scripture that uh, um, I don't know if I've ever heard it preached on before. And maybe you guys have heard this at your church, and to that I would thank your leadership um, I don't think I've ever heard this sermon preached before, uh, which was really hard to find it on sermon.com so I could steal it. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I write all my own stuff. Um, but I will say, they, they say that um, pastors are the greatest thieves because all of the good ideas we steal. There's some truth to that. But it's free, so it's not really stealing. All the illustrations and stuff like that is free. So have you ever been in a situation where... Somebody really close to you just really betrayed your trust? No. Somebody who, no. Somebody who you confided in in truth and a secret and you told them and they completely broke your trust and they just betrayed you. Fathers are supposed to take care of their children. Why have you betrayed me, Father? I just, I could look at that picture over and over and over again. And I love the, the mom, you know, the mom's face right there. She's just like, ah! Or how about this? I was just joking with him, but look at the face he gave me with a complete betrayal for sale. 
or this one. Okay, now what? And it's bath time. I don't know. How many of you are cat people in this room? Do we have like, okay, seven of you? How many dog people are here? Okay. How many I don't care people? Okay. Less I don't care people than cat people. That's crazy. I'm one of those people. If you want to have a cat, awesome. If you want to have a dog, awesome. You can have them. I'm a youth pastor. I can't afford them. Um, and so more power to you. Uh, but betrayal, betrayal is something that we all go through. Uh, those were funny, ha-ha memes of, of different things of betrayal. And they always say that a dog will never betray you. Um, I don't know. I've never owned a dog. I did have a cat when I was about four. And uh, she ran away. Her name was Licorice. She was eating the butter. And my mom said, that's enough, get outside, and she never came home. And my little heart broke because Licorice was gone. She betrayed me and ran away for who knows what. Maybe she got hit by a car, I don't know. But um, she was gone. Yesterday, I kind of shared uh, some of my story um, for those of you that don't know, I know I didn't properly introduce myself on Tuesday. My name is Rob Tatnan. Um, I'm one of the pastors at Grace Baptist Church in Emmitsburg, Iowa. Go Ehawks, right girls, right boy? Where's Carter at? Oh, you're hiding. <laughs> I got some of my teens back there. Um, I've been in Iowan for 18 months. Yeah. And uh, I hate the winters. <laughs> Negative 20 is like crazy. It was almost like how cold my bedroom was last night. Um, my air conditioner is broke. It's, set for, it's like literally set for 61 degrees and you can't adjust it. So having a little two-year-old trying to sleep in her pajamas at 61 is, is pretty cold. Um, but I, I shared with you how... Uh, for a large period of my life, I was running away from the Lord. And I remember um, I was at a camp, and I found this girl that I thought was really cute. And I said, will you be my girlfriend? And she said, no. <laughs> and then she said, my mom and dad said I can't date anybody this summer. So if you really want to be my boyfriend, you're going to have to wait for summer to be over. And then you're going to have to talk to my mom and dad. So guess what I did? I talked to her mom and dad. <laughs> I drove about 45 minutes away because I was in high school. And uh, her dad was cleaning his shotguns when I got to the house. <laughs> and I remember him saying, um, son... There's some things I want to show you before we have our conversation. And he brought me down into the basement. Why I went down into the basement <laughs> with a six foot four, 300 pound man with a grizzly Adams beard, I don't know. But as I go down into the basement, I see, her, see taxidermy after taxidermy after taxidermy. For those of you that are like, what's taxidermy? Is that like April 15th? It's dead animals stuffed with styrofoam and all the other stuff to, so, so you can remember the animals you killed. 
And he was trying to scare me, but what he didn't know is I was a hunter myself. So I started naming all of his guns, and I started naming all of his animals he killed. And he goes, I was trying to intimidate you, but that obviously didn't work. So I started dating this young girl. Young, she was like a year younger than me. And we had the most amazing relationship. We were going to get married. It was just love at first sight. And about four months later, she's like, it's not working. I'm dating your best friend. (laughs) Yeah. That didn't make me very happy. So we broke up, and as, as you can imagine, it was her fault, so I hated her guts. But my best friend and I still hung out all the time. <laughs> but then, as we were going through high school, I realized that my best friend wasn't really that good of a friend in the first place. Not just because he stole my girlfriend, which he told me, she said she broke up with you already. I didn't know she didn't break up with you already. I'm like, you could have asked me. I mean, we've been best friends for like five years now. You could have at least said, hey, I heard you and -and so-and-so were uh, broken up already. And I would have been like, no, we just had a really romantic date last night. Like we went to McDonald's and I shared my french fries with her. (laughs) But anyways, I, I realized throughout my journey, and maybe some of you guys can relate to this, every time we would get together, he would just smash me down. He would say, you're stupid. You're ugly. You can't sing worth a lick. You can't do this. You can't do that. And everything that I try to do to fit into his world, he would just completely smash. And I didn't have a lot of friends, so I put up with it. And I'd go over to his house on the weekends, and and we'd walk over to the convenience store, and we'd get Mountain Dew. And at the time, there was a drink very similar to Red Bull. Red Bull hadn't been invented yet. And I'd be drinking Red Bull and Mountain Dew and go back and watch stupid TV or movies or playing the original Super Nintendo. And the whole time, he's just dogging me because he wants to put me down. And I put up with it because I didn't have any other friends. I was on the basketball team. I was on the soccer team. I had my neighborhood friends, but none of them were what I would call friends. So I hung out with the one kid who would at least pay attention to me. And I realized after being really good friends with him for my opinion of really good friends of him for four, five years, I get off to graduate and go off to college and I realized that I don't care if I ever talk to him ever again because we're not real friends. The whole time we had been friends, he'd done nothing but stab me in the back, talk to people about me behind my back, steal my girlfriend, and had my best interest nowhere in sight. Maybe that's some of you today. Maybe you guys have gone through that. Maybe you guys will go through that. I hope you don't. Today we're going to take a look at a story in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 9. Joshua has the opportunity to stop a betrayal before it ever happens. We're going to talk about two different aspects of betrayal today. Number one, how you can stop it ahead of time, but if you can't stop it, how you can live in the midst of betrayal. So we're going to be talking about those two things. How can you help stop betrayal from happening? 
And that is possible in certain circumstances, not all. But if it does happen, how are you supposed to act in the midst of the betrayal? Joshua chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan and the hill country and the lowlands all along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Prozites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. So pick the picture. You have all these nations coming together to battle Joshua because they know who Joshua was. They knew that they couldn't do it on their own, so they're ganging up and they're going to attack Joshua. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done at Jericho and Ai, they, on their part, acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and their wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and with worn-out clothes, and all of their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, and said to him and his men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. There's lie number one. So we made a covenant with us. So make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, uh, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. Lie number two. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? They said, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. Lie number three. For we have heard a report of him. That was true. And all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did in the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. To Sion, the king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtoreth. So our elders and all of our inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hands for the journey and go down and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out and to come to you. But now, behold, it's dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours were worn out from the long journey, sad-faced tear. Lie, lie, lie. Flattery, flattery, flattery. The first thing that I want us to understand is that we need to be alert. We need to be alert. I am not saying that we need to be pessimists. I'm not trying to say that we need to think that the person who wants to be our friend is like this bad person. I'm not saying you need to go like in like ninja mode every time someone comes near you. I am saying that if you are alert that there are people out there to hurt you, it will help you from being betrayed. Here in this particular story, Joshua and his men had absolutely no clue who these individuals were. They knew they were going to war. And all of a sudden, something unusual is happening. And they just can't put their finger on it. 
in your lives, you might see that boy or that girl who, man, they're not normally this nice to me. Normally they hang out with these type of people and they act this certain type of way, but why all of a sudden do they want to talk to me? And again, I'm not trying to get you to be pessimistic or to think the worst of people. I'm just saying you have to be thinking, does this person have my best interest in mind in what they're trying to do? Hey, I want you to come hang out with me. We're going to go over to so-and-so's house. We're going to have this awesome party. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And you're like, yes, I finally have a friend. I'll do anything for a friend. And you go and you find out that it's not what you thought it was and they were just using you for whatever pleasure they had to use you. We need to be alert of these things. We need to recognize that people are sinners, just like we're sinners. People can hurt us, and we have to be careful who we give our hearts to. Betrayal hurts the worst when it comes from a family member or a friend because they're the people we have given our hearts to. And I'm not saying don't give your heart to anybody. I believe in trust. I mean, if Chad was still here, I'd pick on him, so I'll pick on Greg. Greg's sitting back there on his, on his computer working while he's listening. <laughs> Greg and I have known each other for a little over a year. I trust Greg with my life. I would literally trust him to do anything because I know his character because of time that people talk about him or time that I have spent with him. It takes time. Don't just give your heart away. And I just, I'm just talking about friendship. Don't give your heart away like that. When you're talking about the whole romance thing, don't give your heart away for a very, 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 very long time, especially if their dad hasn't shown you all his guns and taxidermied animals. You know, that's like step one, right? Be careful. Be alert. Notice in the passage, they came to Joshua, and they came to him, and they were flattering. They're like, we heard about your God. We, we heard about what you did. You're so amazing. You're so awesome. I love your hair. Dude, those Nikes are so sick. I can't believe you got the new Crocs. By the way, who's wearing Crocs right now? Okay. I don't know, but leaders, do you remember back in the 90s when those were cool? And then we like all threw them away because they weren't cool anymore. Well, they're back. They're back. And that's just how style works. I saw bell bottoms like a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, seriously, the 60s are back? I didn't want to live through them the first time. Thank the Lord I was born in the 80s. <laughs> and now they're back, and I'm like, oh, no. I just hope the mullet doesn't come back. Please, please, no mullets. But the Gibeonites, they knew exactly what to say. They said, well, we packed this fresh bread when we left home, and now our journey has been so long, it's dry and crumbly. My sandals were like brand new out of the box. You could still smell the new shoe smell. And now we're here, and there's holes in them. They knew what to say. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, The devil is like a lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil does not work alone. He will use our own desires. 
He will use the desires of people around us, and he will seek the weak. He will seek out those who are naive and vulnerable, those that are just going to welcome any type of hurt into their lives, and he's going to pounce on you. Has anybody ever watched a National Geographic or a YouTube video of how lions work? Do they just come screaming at you from 150 yards and just hope that by roaring at you, you're going to be like, okay, I'll stop. You can eat me now. Or do they just really quietly crawl low to the ground, get behind a bush, and then they pounce and they chase after the weakest animal in the pack. And then they have a meal. And then they share that meal with other lions. That's how the devil works. We need to be alert. We are in the midst of a spiritual battle. We have spiritual warfare going around us, and we need God's strength, and we need the strength of godly friends. But we need to be alert that some of our so-called godly friends are just telling us what we want to hear so that we can have that status. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 19 say, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. I'll pause. Do your friends have the same values that you have? I believe in God. I believe the Bible is true. Do your friends have the same standard as you? Or are they constantly pushing back at you saying, no, the Bible doesn't really say that. Oh, you know what? The Bible was written thousands of years ago, so I'm sure it's changed by now. Beware of those who have false doctrine. That is not just talking about false pastors, false teachers. By the way, if you get your information from YouTube, just be careful. Google and YouTube don't care if they're giving you truth. Your friends think they're giving you truth, but you know how many times somebody says, oh yeah, did you hear so and so? Did you see, hear, hear such and such? And then you're like, no, you, that, that's not what happened. Well, that's just what I heard. It's like the girl who you know, broke her arm and her bone came protruding through her wrist and she just had a dislocated knee, right? That happened on Monday here. She dislocated her knee and I hear stories within five minutes of getting to camp that a girl fell off her bunk, broke her arm, and her bone went through her wrist. I talked to her two days ago. She had a brace on her knee. She's in springboard. Like, what happened? Oh, I tripped over my suitcase and I dislocated my knee. Oh, so you didn't break your arm and the bone didn't come through? No. Well, that's just what I heard. Be careful. Be alert. Continuing in Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. Avoid them. Avoid those who have false doctrine for such persons do not serve our lord christ but their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive for your obedience is known to all so that i rejoice over you but i want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil if your friends are buttering you up, watch out. 
girls, this is for you. If a boy comes up to you and just starts talking about how amazing you are and how awesome you are and how beautiful you are and how talented you are and how you just deserve so much better, run away because they only have one thing in mind and that's selfishness. Boys, if you want to appreciate a girl, get to know her and then brag about her character because the the vessel she's living in will change. She'll mature, you'll mature, and you might just be friends in five years instead of exes. Flattery is one of the devil's greatest tools, and I was the king of it. My goal at camp every single year, girls, this is a warning to you, my goal at the beginning of every week was to see how many girlfriends I could have by the end of the week. My, my shortest relationship was 45 minutes. And I don't say that to brag. I wish I could go back and kick myself in the backside and just, you know, have, insert Holy Spirit, you know. I was ignoring him at that part of my life if you don't remember my testimony. There are boys in this room right now that don't care about you. But they will tell you everything you want to hear because you don't get that positive reinforcement at home from your dad. You don't get that positive reinforcement from your mom. And you need a good, godly male in your life. And I can guarantee you, ladies, sorry, teenage boys, sorry, I'm going to throw you under the bus. None of these boys are those, that godly influence that you need in your life right now. And I'm, and I'm not saying that because, boys, you're horrible or evil. Maybe you are. As I make eye contact with a very awkward look, and now he's like three shades redder. Yeah. Beware. Be alert. Flattery is evil. And that's what Joshua was facing. The betrayal of a loved one can shake our world. It can make us feel vulnerable and used. And if we're not careful, it can cause us to be bitter and suspicious towards other, others. The psalmist in Psalm 55 writes of such a betrayal. He talks of a friend. We would take sweet counsel together in the house of the Lord. We were tight. We were close. We used to go to church together. We used to go to camp together. We used to go to retreats together. He was my bro. We were tight. The psalmist agonized on how he was deceived. The buttery words of his mouth were smooth, but there was a battle in his heart. His words were smoother than oil, but they were drawn swords. That's Matthew or Psalm 55, 13. How does someone move beyond the violation of trust? Instead of growing bitter, the psalmist puts his trust in Yahweh. Psalm 55, 22. You don't need to flip there, but you can jot down Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burdens to Yahweh, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be moved. We need to be alert, and yes, we even need to be alert to our friends. I told you of my story the, uh, yesterday of, uh, of being dismissed from a church that I worked at. 
and then not dismissed from the church. As I was getting my resume out and as I was getting my process ready to move to Michigan, I found out that in the midst of all the turmoil of this group of people trying to fire the senior pastor, the associate pastor, and myself, there was still one other staff member in the church that was close to me like a brother. Man, we'd go to Buffalo Wild Wings every Friday together and, and hang out and talk, and he was tight with me. Then I found out that he had been emailing back and forth with a group of people that were trying to get the pastors fired, and they had promised him the senior pastor job when we were gone. He would spread rumors through the church about the, oh, I've seen the receipts too. They were embezzling. And he even spread rumors about me. When I found that out, I was shattered. I had served six years side by side with a man I thought to be of God. He had my complete trust, and he shattered it. I had two options. I could be bitter. I could take it out against him. Or I could serve and love him as if it never happened. Our uh, senior pastor's wife found out the same thing. She was his secretary. She was in his choir. And I said, Linda, how can you still serve underneath him? And she said, I don't serve him. I serve the Lord. And as long as I'm serving the Lord and I have that focus, then it doesn't matter what he did. Because I'm not serving him. I'm serving the Lord. We have those two options, boys and girls, adults. We can get bitter. We can take revenge. We can make things worse. I love the, the contender skits last night. I'm like, man, you should have done that tomorrow morning. It would have lined up perfectly with my message. We can put the baggage on. We can give the baggage to other people. Or we can give the baggage to God. The second thing that we can learn in this story of Joshua is that we need to seek God. The story continues. The Gibeonites had completely lied to the Israelites, but it could have been prevented. Verse 14, Joshua chapter 9, verse 14. So the men took some of their provisions, but they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. They did not go to the Lord and say, what should we do, Lord? What should we do? They accepted the lies. They accepted the gifts, but they did not seek the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. A promise is a promise is a promise. You cannot go back on your word. Joshua and his men failed to seek the face of God. And if they would have just even gone to the face of God and say, God, we feel like there's something wrong here. Can you give us wisdom? 
James tells us that if we seek wisdom, if we ask for wisdom, if we need wisdom, all we have to do is say, God, please give me wisdom, and he will give it to you generously. Joshua and his men were so flattered by the story that they completely ignored the most important step in human history, and that is seeking the face of God. Not only did they not seek God, but they decided to make a covenant with them that would be binding forever, that they could not hurt you. Be alert. Seek God. If we fail to seek God, we will be hurt. Seeking God does not look like, okay, I went to church. Live my life this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh, I got to go back to church. I have to seek God again. Oh, good. I went to church, and now I have my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Seeking God does not look like that. Seeking God is, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Throughout my day, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? How many of you have ever lost your cell phone? You've misplaced it. You have no clue where it was. Did you just say, oh, I'll find it next week? Or did you just say, okay, I need to find my cell phone, and you're looking everywhere, and you're like, Mom, have you seen my cell phone? And she's like, where did you put it last? I don't know. And No, you search for that thing because it has value for you. Or, or uh, that girl gave you her phone number, and you can't find it. What are you going to do, boys? You're going to look everywhere for it because you're going to seek it. Seeking the Lord does not just mean this non-motivated, emotional passiveness that just comes up whenever it comes up. Well, I go to church, I go to camp, I, I do this, I do that. That's not what seeking means. Seeking means I am going to find it with my whole heart. We need to seek God. We need to seek God. There are three warning signs that Joshua could have noticed if he would have been seeking God. First warning sign was all the flattery. The second warning sign was they didn't seek God's counsel. The third one was that he made a covenant with men that he didn't even know. And all of that will lead to betrayal. Thirdly, we've already been betrayed. Now what do we do? We need to honor God. Now that we've been betrayed, now that we haven't seen the warning signs, now that we've already gotten too deep, now that we're in the midst of betrayal, we need to honor God. It doesn't take the hurt away. It doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't make everything okay. But at least your focus is right. When I uh, met my now wife 15 years ago, I had to confess to her my past sins in life because I had inappropriate relationships and I felt that she needed to know that. So we had our conversation and I'm just like, Steph, I just want to let you know 
This is who you're possibly going to be married to. She said something to me that I will never forget. And I hope you can find somebody like this. She says, if God can forgive you, so can I. When you're broken, when you're hurting, and you seek to honor God in your relationships, and he comes in and says, I have forgiven you, and you find that someone who says, if God can forgive you, so can I. You found somebody. Betrayal will hurt, but love and restoration is what's going to carry you moving forward. Let's finish the story here. See what Joshua does after he has been betrayed. At the end of these days, after they had made the covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shirephath, Beeroth, and Kirath-Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. Um, Doing the right thing is not popular, by the way. People will turn against you. Verse 19. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we must not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leader said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leader said for, of them. Joshua summoned them and he said to them, why did you deceive us, saying, we are very far from you when you dwell among us? When <clears throat> where we are far from you when you dwell among us. Now, therefore, you are cursed and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now, behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hands of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place he should choose. When someone betrays us, we have the tendency of trying to get even. We want to give it back to them what they gave to us. We want them to feel the pain. We want them to feel the hurt. And Joshua said, I'm going to honor my promise, and I am going to create an opportunity to honor God in the midst of my disobedience to God. And so he says, I'm not going to kill you, I'm not going to destroy you, but I am going to make you cutters of wood and, and drawers of water. And I love what he does here. He creates a bad situation into a good thing, and they draw water out for the congregation, the people that they betrayed, and for the altar of the Lord. Joshua found a way to honor God by serving God in the midst of betrayal. 
You don't have to cut low when you're hurt. You can take the high road, the godly road. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Do not attack other people when they attack you. Forgive. Learn from your mistakes and honor God. There are three ways that we can honor God in the midst of our betrayal. Just write these down real quick and then we're done. Number one, by staying true to his word. Stay true to God's word. Honor God by staying true to his word. Read his word. Memorize his word. Meditate on his word. Surround yourselves with friends that are in God's word. Stay true to God's word. Don't veer to the right. Don't veer to the left. Stay true to God's word. Number two, stand with the Lord. Your friends will betray you. Yes, even your best friends. They might not mean it. But they will do something to hurt you and betray your trust and hurt you. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. Stand in his truth. Stand with the Lord and honor him in your life in the midst of betrayal. Thirdly, honor the Lord by bringing honor to the Lord, not grumbling and complaining and saying, I can't believe you did that. Don't focus on the negative. God blessed through this. Bring God blessing. Bring God praise. Bring God glory. Honor God by just honoring God. Honor God in your purity. Honor God in your speech. Honor God in your conduct. Honor God in everything that you do. When you are betrayed, just remember, there is one that will never betray you. If you have gone through some very difficult times in your life and you have been betrayed, maybe you're going through a betrayal, maybe you're struggling with these concepts of revenge, please talk to your counselor today as you go back and have your, your uh, cabin and counselor time and you, you answer the questions or do your devotions, whatever it is. Don't let the bitterness destroy you. Don't let what words have said destroy you. Trust me, I understand the hurt and the pain. I'm 37 years old. I have not had that best friend in almost 20 years. The words he spoke still dig. But I have to remind myself that the words that God speaks are way more important than what a human being will say. And then I can push it off aside. Let me pray for you. Father God, I do pray for each and every single one here. God, they are going through a variety of different trials. They are dealing with different situations with friends and peers. Thankfully, you know each and every situation. I pray for strength through these betrayal opportunities so that we will be true to you, that we will give you our all, that we will seek your face and honor you. God, I pray for those hurting right now. I pray for your healing. I pray for your love. I pray for, 
for your touch on their lives, that they can experience the greatness and the amazingness of who you are. I pray that they'll turn to their counselor today and just share that burden so that there can be a beautiful conversation and and a beautiful time of prayer casting our burdens to you because you care for us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.